Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Right now in the United States, people should not be walking around with masks. While elections are sometimes messy, this was a secure election. The founders began the fight for human liberty and self-governance, and it's up to us to finish the job. I tell you what, we are in a truth emergency right now. This is the end game. It's Monday, January 8th, 2024, the 1,083rd day of dystopia. I'm your moderator, Chris Paul. Let's be reasonable. A warm welcome and hello to all of you listening to the podcast on the day of its release. The only way to do that is by becoming a paid subscriber at I'mYourModerator.Substack.com. You can do so for as little as $50 a year or $5 a month. And in doing so, you will be supporting me, the work I do, and this show as it expands. And if you can't, or you simply don't want to, continue listening to the podcast for free on a wide variety of podcast platforms. And of course, Rumble. All I ask is that you share it with your friends. You can find the links to the podcast, the writing, the social media, and the merch site by visiting linktree.com slash I'm your moderator. Now, on Saturday, we celebrated the three-year anniversary of the very violent insurrection when MAGA extremists stormed the capital of the United States of America, attempting to overturn the results of a free and fair democratic election, thus threatening our democracy. 
I think that's basically the official story within the central narrative about J6. And then you get to add on all the interesting layers, like what happened to Nancy Pelosi's laptop or what was the deal with Ray Epps and the QAnon shaman and the pipe bombs at the RNC and the DNC and what got into Donald Trump when he tried to strangle the Secret Service driver in the beast. We are now three years past the American version of the Reichstag fire, a false flag, clearly a multi-level op on both sides, an event used to systematically oppress the American people and strip them of their constitutional and human rights. There is still so much about that event that is mysterious to say the least, and that's because there were ops being run on, quote unquote, both sides. Now, it's a lot darker territory if we find out that the ops were only being run by one side and that all the people involved on those ops don't actually represent two sides. They represent one side because that makes a whole lot of people that people in our community have been backing for a really long time bad actors. Now, there is no doubt that our fellow Americans, many of them have been treated unjustly over the last three years. But it's probably also true that some of the people who we've thought were good guys just aren't. Regardless, a lot of the mayhem that we saw taking place, it's not just that it was sparked by the Capitol Police or initiated by feds or federal assets. It's that a lot of it was nothing more than a performance for the cameras so that they could declare a riot and insurrection were happening without the visual component of that. There is no way that the regime and its uniparty assets within the United States could have run this years long op on us without the physical aspects on video. No one would have believed it. And it's worth noting that a lot of those physical aspects on video happened while Donald Trump was still giving his speech and the crowd that showed up for Donald Trump in Washington, D.C. on January 6th wasn't at the Capitol. As with most of what we've come to learn over this period, there is the mainstream media narrative, the official story. Then there is a controlled counter narrative. And the problem is that a lot of people on our side of things understand so thoroughly that the uniparty regime's propaganda central narrative is false and that bad people are telling that story. So we develop a tendency to look at the counter narrative as being automatically true in relation to that obviously false central narrative. And that is entirely understandable. It is a problem that all of us fall into along this progression. We understand the news is fake, but we believe it's fake in a certain way. And we assume, therefore, that everyone who is disputing that narrative and pointing out its fakeness is on our side and telling the truth for the right reasons, and that, therefore, we can trust them and we continue to follow their story along, even though 
It has no greater requirement of being true or mapping onto reality than the official story within the mainstream central narrative. The counter narrative is not necessarily the truth. And so I want to get into some of that today in a few minutes, following up on a conversation that John and Patrick and I had on Devolution Power Hour on Saturday night and that I have continued on Truth Social and Telegram and elsewhere about the responsibility of media figures to tell the truth and whether we should stop making excuses for them lying to everyone constantly in an effort to quote unquote wake up the normies. But as it's the three-year anniversary of the very violent insurrection, and some of the normies have even woken up to the point that we were at on January 7th and 8th of 2021, hey guys, that is uh, obviously not what they're saying it is. How can none of you see that? Well, the normies have woken up to that point now. Hallelujah. But we are not normies and we don't judge ourselves based on what normies finally understand. So let's continue charging forward and focus on some more interesting things that we haven't known for three and a half years while we are applauding the normies and applauding ourselves and applauding everyone else and making excuses for just everyone continuing to lie forever. Here is Joe Biden from a speech on Friday that they say was in Valley Forge, but it wasn't because the location got changed and Joe Biden wanted to make a big show of how he went to Valley Forge in the middle of winter, just like George Washington. Oh, what a hero he will be recorded as in the history books. So students 50 years and 100 years and 200 years from now can look back and read about how Joe Biden saved this country with this last rally that began in the winter in Valley Forge. That is what they will say about Joe Biden. It'll be like he's just like George Washington or maybe more accurately, because who knows, maybe George Washington is more like Joe Biden. Oh, but you're not allowed to think about that. Don't even say it. Don't even suggest it. Is it weird that the town in Pennsylvania just east of Valley Forge is called King of Prussia? Yeah, it sure is. But let's not worry about that right now. Joe Biden had to give a speech about how MAGA extremists were really just violent domestic terrorists and we're going to burn the whole country down or something. It doesn't really matter what he says. He's not even a real president. This is coming from a president who called when he visited his cemeteries, called dead soldiers suckers and losers. Remember that? Sometimes I'm really happy. The Irish of me can't be seen. <laughs> it was right around the time I was at Bo's grave, Tommy. How dare he? Who in God's name does he think he is? Now, that's not even the part I wanted you to hear, but I have to stop this just to describe what this is like in video. Now, the suckers and losers thing, that is just an out and out lie. Jeffrey Goldberg of The Atlantic just straight up made that up. Unnamed sources, quite obviously something Trump would not say. There is no proof anywhere that he said it. But there is Joe Biden repeating it. 
same as he continues to repeat the very fine people on both sides lie. And of course, in honor of J6, it's the same way they always leave out how Donald Trump said peacefully and patriotically in discussing his supporters marching down toward the Capitol. But after Joe Biden says that part, he completely zones out and forgets what's happening. So he resorts to one of his old tricks, which is talking about the death of his son, Bo. No one in the audience responded to the suckers and losers comment. Joe Biden lost his place. He grabbed about five pages in his notebook and just flipped them as if he was going to figure it out at that point. Then goes through the thing about Bo, which is a total non sequitur, nothing whatsoever to do with his remarks. And then he comes back with how dare he, which is in relation to Trump's mythological comments calling soldiers suckers and losers. That is what the how dare he references in the middle. Joe Biden just has a total mental collapse and starts talking about his son's death. But let's get back to the meat of this. This speech should be viewed in parallel to Joe Biden's Hitler-esque speech in Philadelphia at Independence Hall, where he is shaking his fists and talking about how bad the MAGA extremists are with that background of just red and black. But here's the fake president once again. With former aides, Trump plans to invoke the Insurrection Act, Insurrection Act which will allow him to deploy, which is not allowed to do in ordinary circumstances, allow him to deploy U.S. military forces on the streets of America. He said it. He calls those who oppose him vermin. He talks about the blood of America as being poisoned. Echoing the same exact language used in Nazi Germany. He proudly posts on social media the words that best describe his 2024 campaign, quote, revenge, quote, power, and quote, dictatorship. There's no confusion about who Trump is, what he intends to do. Now, these comments are ridiculous. Of course, we have talked about many of these things before the full context of the vermin quote, we will root out the Marxist fascists and radical left thugs that live like vermin within the confines of our country. The threat from outside forces is far less sinister, dangerous and grave than the threat from within that was seized upon in remarks like this one from CNN's Caitlin Collins. Hitler's biographer once noted the Nazi dictator as saying, should I not also have the right to eliminate millions of an inferior race that multiplies like vermin? Okay, well, those comments have absolutely nothing to do with one another. There is no point at which Donald Trump has ever remarked anything that would suggest that he believes one race is inferior to another. And of course, that can be contrasted to the man you just heard speaking, who was mentored in politics for three decades by a Klan leader who wrote the crime bill that has tons of black Americans locked up. He said, if you don't vote for him, you ain't black. And he has also said things like poor kids are just as bright as white kids. 
And if you think I'm saying that as a white male defender of this racist Donald Trump, well, I must be doing a really good job because Hispanic Americans and black Americans are moving toward Donald Trump in waves. So I suppose Trump and people like me, oh, we must have them all tricked. And I'll tell you what, if you think that Hispanic Americans and black Americans can be tricked by a president they're told is racist and podcasts they don't listen to, you might be racist. As for poisoning the blood, Trump was talking pretty obviously about all of the drugs coming in through the mass trafficking operation being run by the cartels at our southern border in league with the fake president and the evil twin faction in the United States of America. He is, as usual, trolling these people into sounding absolutely insane. Joe Biden, while looking and acting Hitler-esque, is accusing Donald Trump of actually being and wanting to be Hitler, and the only way he can make his case is by entirely misstating and falsely framing the things Donald Trump is actually saying. And it's also worth noting that the word isn't revenge, it's retribution, which is a different concept. But let's think about the rest of that. Joe Biden says Donald Trump wants to, with his aides, declare the Insurrection Act, which would allow the military to operate on U.S. soil. Now, this is a little strange because, as anyone can just easily understand, the military, to the extent that its job is really to protect the United States of America, would have to operate on American soil to defend the country if we were attacked by another nation. If we were at war, you damn well better believe that the United States military would be defending the country from inside the country. I mean, it's called the Department of Defense. But let's skip past that. Although Trump, as president, did many times declare that we were at war in public as president. So as far as that's concerned, he said we've been attacked. We're already there. But then you might come to remember that Donald Trump has also said that the real insurrection was on November 3rd, 2020, when they stole the election. So the truth is that we were already there in that way, too. A lot of people frame January 6th as potentially the end of that insurrection or its own insurrection, but by the evil twin faction of the United States, that uniparty who completed the mission of stealing and certifying that election on that day. That's not how I would describe it, but I understand the framing. I do not suspect that the insurrection, as it were, ended on that day. It's obviously continued. We've seen further stolen elections around the country. But hey, again, we're talking about a situation shrouded in mystery. So while it's an interesting discussion, it's not worth getting into the semantics of it. Now, is Joe Biden previewing, as he says, something that Trump intends to do if he gets reelected as president? Or is it something that Donald Trump already did? I mean, speaking of the military operating on U.S. soil, we did end up in a situation right around that time where the National Guard was brought in to erect fences all around the U.S. Capitol 
and they had something like 20 or 25,000 troops stationed in Washington, D.C., just, I guess, protecting the illegitimate government. Again, another event shrouded in mystery. Maybe one day we will know what happened. I suspect we will. Now, Sundance over at the conservative treehouse published an article for the three year anniversary of the very violent insurrection, and he included an exchange with a conservative treehouse reader who goes by Regia Tiger, I guess. And Sundance says that this man has spent a great deal of time reviewing the entire process, looking at the granular timeline, and then overlaying the bigger picture of the constitutional and parliamentary process itself. He writes, what follows is a brilliant analysis of the federal government motive to create a J6 crisis that permitted House Speaker Nancy Pelosi to trigger an emergency session and avoid the 2020 election certification challenges. Those congressional floor challenges known and anticipated well in advance of the morning of J6 would have formed a legal and constitutional basis for standing in judicial challenges that eventually would reach the Supreme Court. The certification during emergency session eliminated the problem for Washington, D.C. The headline on the article, by the way, from theconservativetreehouse.com is Fed Surrection Anniversary Day. They needed an emergency session. You can find this linked in the Telegram channel t.me slash very reasonable. And here is what Regit Tiger argues and presents. He says, I will present this as a series of questions and answers. Question one, how do you prevent Congress from delaying the certification of state electoral votes? Answer, it requires a crisis, a crisis that creates an emergency, an emergency that invokes special house rules. Facts. Remember carefully, just moments, literally three minutes before two representatives issued a vote for motions to suspend the certification. The House members were informed by Capitol Police and other agents that a protest was about to breach the chambers. It was at this time that key people, Pence, Pelosi, Schumer, McConnell, can be seen walked out and escorted from the chamber. This effectively halted the entire chamber process. Question two, why was it necessary to halt the chamber process? Answer, the crisis was created to eliminate the motion challenges to halt the certification and to begin voting to look into voting irregularities and fraud. The two motions were completely legal and constitutional under at least two constitutionally recognized procedures, procedures that would require the House to pause the certification and then vote to determine whether the motions to suspend could move forward. Question three, what was so important to refuse this motion and the subsequent votes to suspend the electoral certification? Answer. It was important to remove that process entirely and continue the fraud and certify the fraud with no detractors on record. This effectively gives no standing for a SCOTUS ruling appeal. Understand this. If these two motions, even just one, had successfully been voted, even if the motions were denied in the vote, this gives those who presented them standing for a constitutional legal argument before SCOTUS. Question four, could this have been done some other way other than creating a crisis or protest? The answer given by Regit Tiger 
is unlikely to prevent those two motions requires that Speaker of the House, minority leaders and the president of the Congress, vice president of the United States, Pence, to not be present in the chambers. Once the Capitol Police and other law enforcement agents informed the speaker and these three other individuals, Pelosi unilaterally, under emergency rules, suspended the business of the Congress. This protest was necessary. The crisis was created because there is no other way to suspend the business of certification unilaterally. By creating a crisis, they were able to invoke emergency procedures. No other circumstances other than war or mass simultaneous explosive diarrhea can create such unilateral speaker delivered suspension of the certification. Question five. Why didn't the motions once the speaker reconvened Congress move back again to the floor for votes? Why were members disallowed to even consider putting forward any motions to the floor when the chamber's business was reopened? Answer. The speaker initiated the new sessions under special emergency rules. These rules abandon and make it clear that the only purpose of the new session was to expedite the certification and dismiss all prior regular session procedural rules. This is why those two motions to table votes to consider a debate and pause to the certifications of state vote electors never happened later that evening when the House business was reconvened. Question six, other than new rules, emergency rules, what other peculiar things occurred when the speaker reconvened? Answer, members were allowed to vote in proxy remotely, not being present. You can use your imagination about what conditions were placed on all members during this time to prevent anyone from quote unquote getting out of line. Also, clearly it was at this new session that VP Pence would have no ability to even consider pausing the electoral certification because there were no motions of disagreements on the matter. So in a technical legal claim, he is correct that he had no constitutional authority to address any issues of fraud or doubts about electoral irregularities. But this completely dismisses the fact that Congress created rules in this crisis slash emergency that never allowed them to be floored. Understand what happened on January 6th, 2021. He writes, don't get hung up on Viking imposters, stolen Pelosi computers, podium heists, and complicit Capitol police. Understand the process and what happened and what was not allowed to happen. This was a coup. It was a very organized and carefully planned coup. VP Pence, without a doubt, as well as most members of the House, were quite aware of how the certification was going to be managed. It would require new rules to prevent the debate clause from occurring. New rules that only an emergency crisis could create, so they created an emergency. Now, I think that that is a very interesting and compelling take on the mechanics of of that day on exactly what happened. He's saying that the original session, the original joint session was suspended because of the warning they got about this crisis. Oh God, the Capitol has been breached. And you will remember, of course, the pictures of our poor Congress members in their little masks huddled on the floor for safety. AOC hiding in her office to avoid rape squads. 
But this does make a lot of sense. It does map onto reality. The time works. Do I know for certain that this is what happened? No, of course not. But it sounds very plausible and it would explain the obvious staged violence outside that was used as the premise for disrupting this session and the objections that were soon to follow. So let's take a second and consider a counterfactual. We know that hundreds of thousands of Trump supporters went to Washington, D.C. to support the president and to encourage with their presence the Congress to take some more time and examine the claims of election fraud flowing in from all the different states. The request at that time was not to overturn the results of a free and fair election. It was to delay the certification to send it back to the states so that they could examine problems in their elections. What if none of those people had been there? Would the violence that we saw at the Capitol still have occurred? And it would be my suggestion that, yes, it would have occurred either way. And without hundreds of thousands of peaceful Trump supporters coming to Washington, D.C. and being well down the street, when these problems occurred, we would have just had their much smaller op designed to make it look like MAGA are violent extremists, which would have then been used to justify the suspension of that House session, allowing them to evade the rules for any objections in the way described here. Now, to the extent that any real legitimate Trump supporters got mixed up and involved in the violence, well, that is extremely unfortunate, but people have to be responsible for their own behavior. And to the extent that totally innocent people are being rounded up and arrested by this illegitimate regime just for being present on Capitol grounds or being around the Capitol or even walking into the Capitol, staying between the ropes, as many did, then that is a legitimate injustice. And we must work toward a way to figure out how to make these people whole to the extent we can. Donald Trump has actually adjusted his language when referring to those sorts of people, and that has been picked up over the weekend by people like Elise Stefanik. Trump is now calling those people the J6 hostages. What they've done, and they ought to, you know what they ought to do? They ought to release the J6 hostages. They've suffered enough. They ought to release them. I call them hostages. Some people call them prisoners. I call them hostages. Release the J6 hostages, Joe. Release them, Joe. You can do it real easy, Joe. This guy, what he's done, what he's done to people. Now, you might say that's not a big deal. He's just changed wording. And on some level, that's right. But the way that these ideas are communicated actually does matter. And calling them hostages in front of a country who is finally beginning to wake up and understand that J6 was nothing like they were told, well, that certainly brings the situation into stark contrast. We've talked about them for many years now being political prisoners, and that is an apt description. Of course, giving all of them the benefit of the doubt, they are being held by a political opponent for political reasons. They are trying to tamp down dissent. 
The fake administration is trying to let its political opposition know that if they rise up to contest the authority of the illegitimate administration, they could wind up in prison. We understand that concept of political prisoners. Hostages kind of brings that to another level, because when you think of hostages, you usually think about a negotiation. The hostages are used as leverage in a negotiation. If you give me X, Y, Z, I will release these hostages. Now, the question is, is this corrupt and illegitimate regime using these political prisoners as bargaining chips in a negotiation with Donald Trump, thus making them hostages? I don't have the answer to that question, obviously, but it's something to keep an eye on. Now, as the Internet was celebrating the three year anniversary of the very violent insurrection, Alex Jones and Zero Hedge combined to present a debate between popular figures on X, formerly Twitter. On one side were both Krasenstein brothers and a guy who goes by the name Destiny. All three of them are skinny, dorky, little progressive twerps with very effeminate, lispy, nasally voices who are prepared at all times to recite letter and verse of the official story about every subject within the central narrative. They basically memorize the Atlantic and Washington Post and New York Times and have all the little facts in those fake news stories memorized so that they can whip them out whenever they think it will help them in a debate. And opposing them, you have Alex Jones, who may well be a hero, might be a villain, but either way is 100% info op. You have Glenn Greenwald, the gay leftist who now lives in Brazil with his partner and two young boys who he has adopted as sons. He was the guy who first broke the Edward Snowden story and for whatever reason is still a regime supporting leftist. And I know this because I've had many interactions with him on Twitter. He does not seem to have any idea of what's actually going on. But again, he is well-versed in the central narrative. And then you have Darren Beatty, who actually is brilliant and is a good writer and a good reporter and has been well ahead on the reporting of many important subjects over the last few years. Darren Beatty was talking about color revolutions in the summer of 2020, letting everyone know what was going on in the United States at that point during the summer of love. I don't know how he ended up in a debate with these other five. And to be clear, I'm not trying to cast aspersions on Alex Jones, and I really don't have much of a problem with Glenn Greenwald. But these are people with some legitimate questions surrounding them. Alex Jones was legitimately part of one of the operations happening on January 6th. He was right there in the mix. Now, was he there as a decoy for the good guys? I don't know, but he might have been there just as part of the staged and controlled opposition dynamic that played out that day. So as we discussed on Saturday night, the debate talked about the details of J6 and whether or not Trump really engaged in insurrection. And of course, the three guys from, quote unquote, the left all agree that he did. And the other three don't agree that he did. What an important debate to have. 
Darren Beatty brought up the fact that Donald Trump had plenty of good reasons to believe the election was stolen. Therefore, he couldn't have possibly been knowingly using the election fraud claims as some kind of spark to ignite this insurrection. But the simplest and most direct case, as always, is, hey, commies, do you believe that Joe Biden received 81 million real lawful American votes? And if you don't believe that, then you have to tell me how many fraudulent votes is acceptable and how, with the methods of fraud, you can be certain that the numbers as reported are real or substantiated at all. And if you can't prove that those are real or substantiated at all, then the number of fraudulent votes could be anything. And so pretending you have to find certain votes that can be proven as fraudulent in order to cover the gap in an entirely made up difference, well, that makes no sense. And if you can know all that and turn a blind eye to it and say, well, you know, there's just <laughs> nothing we can do about that illegitimate president. Well, I'm not sure what to tell you. If you want to live as a subject under an authoritarian dictator under a much larger global regime that for all intents and purposes is just a modern day version of feudalism. Well, you're very close to getting your wish. But if you understand that poisoning you was one of the first steps and not one of the final steps, well, then you might want to realize that we can't just paper over and ignore stolen elections in this country. But they do, of course, because they're presenting a controlled opposition dynamic. They're presenting two sides of a false story in order to ignore the true story. The true story is there's no proof anywhere that Joe Biden received 81 million real lawful American votes. So it is well within the right of every American to show up and express their belief in that obvious truth at the seat of their government. The First Amendment prohibits that government from restricting that at all. And of course, in addition to that, the fact that no one anywhere can substantiate that Joe Biden received 81 million real lawful American votes means Donald Trump was well within his rights to do everything he did. And it immediately makes the Jack Smith J6 election fraud case and the Fannie Willis case in Georgia look as ridiculous as they are because Donald Trump was doing his duty as president and acting within the scope of his office. And he believes and is arguing now in court that he should be immune from all of this because he was faithfully executing his duties. He wrote on Truth Social late last night, I will be attending the federal appeals court arguments on presidential immunity in Washington, D.C. on Tuesday. Of course, I was entitled as president of the United States and commander in chief to immunity. I wasn't campaigning. The election was long over. I was looking for voter fraud and finding it, which is my obligation to do and otherwise running our country. And he actually said running twice. He said the twice earlier in the post as well. If I don't get immunity, then crooked Joe Biden doesn't get immunity. And with the border invasion and Afghanistan surrender alone, not to mention the millions of dollars that went into his quote unquote pockets with money from foreign countries, Joe would be ripe for indictment. 
by weaponizing the DOJ against his political opponent, me, Joe has opened a giant Pandora's box. Now we have this weird impression, and maybe there's something to it. You can decide for yourself, but we have this weird impression that if we are in a public debate or we are talking to someone who we consider a quote unquote normie, there are only certain things that we can say to them because we know that saying other things, namely true things, is going to spark a larger argument. And we think that if we avoid that larger argument, we might be able to convince them of a smaller argument and thus move them more in our direction while never having to engage the consequences of speaking the actual truth to someone who is a normie or otherwise a child brain or standard issue villager. We think that there is a certain limited range of subjects that they are prepared to discuss or willing to discuss, and that we have to stay within that range of subjects in order to have a productive conversation with them, as if having a nice quote unquote productive conversation is somehow the goal of all this. And so John and Patrick and I on Devolution Power Hour were discussing our frustration with these tactics. And this is something that I've been thinking quite a bit about over the last few weeks, particularly while I was off, but honestly, for a couple of months before that, I think we really, really need to understand what is meant by fake news. A lot of the times we say MSNBC is fake news, and it certainly is. And then there are a whole bunch of standard issue villagers on the uniparty right who think that MSNBC is fake news and Fox News might be a little bit fake news, but that's much closer to real news. Now, I have tried to make the case for a couple of years now that those are just two of the same thing. They are marketing the same underlying central narrative to two different groups of individuals. MSNBC's group might be a little bit younger, a little more progressive, maybe much gayer, much more proud of their college degrees, much more in tune with pop culture, much more likely to spend all day on social media. And MSNBC's messaging reflects that. Hey, what are these retards going to want to hear? Let's give them that. Plus, Trump hate. And then you've got Fox News that is a little older, a little more detached from pop culture, not quite as gay, and maybe even slightly less retarded. And the people at Fox News say, hey, what do these retards want to hear? Let's give them that. And you let that play out for a while and both groups, both audiences come to believe largely in a very similar set of underlying facts. They believe a whole lot of the same things about the world, though they will find ways to argue about the details of those shared beliefs. They will be presented with different viewpoints that they can then inhabit and repeat to other people about underlying stories or events that are presumed by everyone to definitely be true. We have discussed this many times. These are how the two sides of the uniparty are developed. They will argue like cats and dogs over things that don't matter at all. And whenever the regime has a serious priority, 
like what to believe about COVID or masks or mail-in balloting or BLM or election fraud or very violent insurrections or the war in Ukraine or the war in Israel and blah, blah, blah. They always find a way to inhabit essentially the same opinion. Isn't it strange that two opposing forces who we're convinced hate one another all end up agreeing about the underlying truth of the same important events while disagreeing about everything else? Now, media trust over the years has plummeted. People don't trust the media, but they still watch it knowing that the people they're watching shouldn't be trusted, but they find the ones they feel comfortable trusting, and then they trust them completely. Why? Because it's the fastest shortcut to being able to talk as if you understand these events when you don't. And by the way, that's okay. It's impossible to understand all of these events. It's especially impossible to understand fictional events that are presented as true, which you then begin to analyze and pick at, trying to work through the layers and find something to grasp onto. And you find it's nothing but contradictions because the thing that people are real hesitant to accept as true is that the underlying event as presented is also false. It's not actually our job to figure out how we feel about something fake. And that is the pen we are consistently being corralled into. Hey, everybody, go over there into your pen with all the people you hate and then fight about where the very deadly pandemic came from. Did the virus emerge from a bat cave or did the virus come out of the lab? And here we are four years later. People will say, oh, yeah, that whole thing was a hoax. And it's like, good. Oh, I agree. It was definitely a hoax. And then they're like, except there really was a virus. That part is real. And it emerged from the lab. And you have to say that because if you even suggest, hey, guys, uh, maybe there was something going on that doesn't actually include a virus. I'm not saying that no one got sick. People definitely did get sick in a way that is not the same as they've gotten sick in the past. There are plenty of people out there saying it. We can even accept that is true, but we don't know how they got sick because COVID tests don't work. We know that. And the science told us not to use hydroxychloroquine or ivermectin that do work. And instead, they told us to lock down our entire society and wear masks and prevent kids from going to school and a whole range of other solutions that made people think, hey, we're all in this together trying to solve this problem. And we somehow adopt the view that the scientists who are lying to us about a whole bunch of things aren't lying to us about the main thing. And then we also give them the added benefit of the doubt saying, well, I know they're lying about X, Y, and Z, but that's only to wake the normies up and bring them more in our direction. And of course, we can all see how well that worked. So we're having this conversation and noting how this supposed January 6th insurrection debate is completely lacking the one central argument 
that would immediately end the debate, which is that no one anywhere can substantiate the claim that Joe Biden received 81 million real lawful American votes and to certify an election on the basis of unsubstantiated and unsubstantiatable vote totals is a usurpation of the United States of America. We are declaring our surrender as a country if and when we do that. And there were people who wanted exactly that. You have to wonder who they're serving while wanting that. But I digress. No mention whatsoever of the most critical fact, which is the election fraud. So I bring up a clip that I saw of Tucker Carlson as a guest on the redacted podcast. Now, I'm not that familiar with this podcast. I've seen clips here and there. I have never sat down and listened to a whole episode or anything. They seem to exist in that space where they are just kind of pushing up toward the edge of the normie sphere. But I saw this clip from Tucker Carlson. He was asked what it was he was afraid to talk about, if there was anything that he had been afraid to talk about at any point. And I'm going to let you hear that answer. That includes election fraud. And I'm going to play a little bit more of the lead up in that question than we played on Saturday night on Devolution Power Hour. That's what it is, right? Because I'm willing to ask questions about the COVID vaccines. I'm willing to read books about Ukraine's history. I'm willing to spend my weekends doing that, which gives me politics by cooties, which I know now that in the circles I ran in when I was still in the mainstream media would make me seem like a kook. And I'm afraid not only of losing those friendships, but I'm afraid of the fallout uh, that happens around that, things that happen to people that I respect. But at the same time, I care more about the world that we leave our kids and you can't say nothing right now. Um, And so that's the reason that we do this, even though I'm always scared. I mean, you you, Clayton don't seem as scared as me. No, I I wanted to ask you that question. Are you, are there stories you're scared to cover? Because there'll be times and I, I know you are hit with a torrent of information on a daily basis, way more than I am. And I mean, you have contacts all around the world that are, you know, there's probably someone on the space station right now texting you um, with information about something. And so are there things that you're scared to cover? You're sitting there saying, wow, this is like soul crushing, like to the point where like it really scares you in your soul. There are two. Yes, there are two. Um, One is the 2020 election. And I think that I was far too dismissive of some of the claims made about it. And I think there may be some merit to some of the wildest possible claims about that election. And I haven't proven it yet, but I've, um, you know, look, I'll just say, and you know this, of course, very well, both of you, that whenever you have politics, you've got a lot of sleazy people and liars and people who just want to get their candidate elected or get paid or whatever. You've got a lot of lying around all political campaigns. So it's very hard to know what's true. And sometimes it takes years to figure it out. So there were a lot of stupid mercenaries making claims about fraud in that past election that were, you know, they couldn't back up. But that doesn't mean that all of those ideas were wrong. And I think that some of them were right is is what I'm learning. And I, you know, I'll just leave it there. The second thing that bothers me is the UFO story. And, uh, you know, the more you dig into that and talk to people with knowledge, with actual knowledge of it. Okay. So we don't need to get into the alien stuff. It doesn't matter what he said. The only noteworthy part of that is that he always pairs the alien thing with the election fraud thing as if they are somehow on par in the level of outlandishness of each claim. 
One of them is entirely reality-based, to the point where you don't even need evidence. It is logically irrefutable that there is no reason to believe Joe Biden received 81 million real lawful American votes, and the claim is unsubstantiated. You don't need to find fraud. You don't need to do anything to understand the truth of that claim. It is foundational and fundamental. If the people cannot substantiate the reported results of an election, there is no reason to consider that election legitimate. And there is nothing to substantiate the legitimacy of our government as it continues to make rules for us and attempts to run our lives in league with a global regime which is not denied by anyone. The alien and UFO thing could absolutely be an elaborate psyop participated in from both sides, as all of the best psyops are. There is no reason to consistently bring that up with election fraud, as he does. And if you watch Devolution Power Hour, we examined another clip from Tucker Carlson back a few years ago talking about the claims of Sidney Powell and Rudy Giuliani, and he mentions election fraud with the aliens again there. But let's hone in on the rest. The co-host from Redacted, she talks about how there are things she's afraid to say because she doesn't want to deal with the social consequences. Now, that is a fine observation. I think everyone has a responsibility to say those things and deal with the social consequences. But if they don't want to, we can at least understand. Nobody has to do that stuff in every single occasion throughout their lives, although we should strive for that all the time. We can aim for excellence while understanding that excellence will not always be achievable and without beating ourselves up for our imperfect record. The point is to strive for the adherence to our principles, not to assume that the striving is all in vain if we know we can't reach them every single time. And if you're a longtime listener to the show, you understand that lady's comments perfectly through the lens of the party of false decorum. She is speaking the incentive and punishment structure of the party of false decorum. If she says certain things that are nonetheless true, she may end up facing certain consequences within her social group or peer group as a result of her speaking difficult truths. So the question is asked of Tucker Carlson, are there any subjects he is scared to cover? And one of them is election fraud. And then he goes into the aliens. And by the way, he covers the alien stuff pretty consistently and did on Fox News as well. So the idea that he is somehow afraid to talk about that in the mainstream is a little silly. Is he just saying, oh, people will think you're silly for talking about that? Well, maybe, but that doesn't mean anything. Tucker Carlson has tens of millions, if not hundreds of millions of dollars. And it's far more likely that he has hundreds of millions, by the way. Are we really to believe that he is worried about talking about UFOs when he used to do it on his nationally televised hit Fox News TV show? Doubtful. But what about the election fraud? It's a little bigger than people will think you're silly. The idea being that there is an actual danger tied to speaking those truths that is aside from just the 
party of false decorum, incentive and punishment structure, which is reflected in the UFO conversation. It's going to be worse than people will think he's silly. He could actually get in trouble for telling the big lie. That is the example that we have been shown by this illegitimate administration over the course of the last three years. If you talk about election fraud, we will censor you. We will hunt you down. We will imprison you. We will destroy your life. We will exact consequences in the social sphere as well. But there is this real actual threat. And many of us have chosen to face that threat head on. Now, a strange response always comes from our community when stating it this way. They'll say, well, you know, Tucker Carlson, he has a lot more to lose He has those hundreds of millions of dollars that might just vanish and disappear. He gets paid 15 or 20 or 50 or 100 million dollars a year to say the things that he's saying, saying the wrong thing at that point. Well, he would be risking tens of millions of dollars. You can't ask anybody to risk tens of millions of dollars. All you're risking is tens of thousands of dollars. And naturally, this is said by people who are fully embodying a total inversion within the false reality. Someone who has multiple properties, a massive media empire that he is now, quote unquote, independent in pursuing a national, if not global brand, the attention of millions of people and tens of millions, if not hundreds of millions of dollars in the bank or otherwise invested. That is what he has to fall back on for telling the truth. Whereas people like me make a tiny fraction of what he makes, have virtually no one to protect us out in the world. If the worst were to happen, if we were to actually be punished for our speech and for people like me and many others who had our long careers destroyed in a snap of the fingers a few years ago, We certainly don't have the financial backing to be able to fight for ourselves if we are contested in that way. Is Tucker Carlson really more at risk than normal people telling the truth and living by principles? Was Tucker Carlson's career threatened for not taking the vaccine like many normal people's careers were threatened? Was he censored for telling the truth like many normal people were censored for telling the truth? No. None of those situations apply to Tucker Carlson. And that's not to say they couldn't actually come after him and hurt him. And I can't possibly know his individual situations, what's going on in his head and why he makes the decisions he makes. But to say just out of hand, yeah, well, he really has something to lose. That's why he can't tell the truth. Well, that makes no sense. Now, you might say Tucker Carlson made some election fraud claims back then in 2020 And then Dominion sued Fox and Fox because it's hosts like Tucker Carlson and Sean Hannity and Laura Ingram were telling the big lie. Well, Fox had to go and pay Dominion seven hundred and eighty seven million dollars for lying about them. Except that's not true in Dominion's discovery documents from that case. It's clear that Dominion knows its machines cannot reliably produce results that accurately reflect the will and intent of the voter. And J. Alex Halderman's report on the machines backs that up. That report was filed in Georgia courts before the 2020 elections, 
CISA wrote a summary of it in 2022, and now the redacted version of that report is available for the public to read. I have read it, as have many others. I did an episode on this show, maybe even two episodes on that report. Does Tucker Carlson know that report exists? Yes or no? The answer can only be one thing. It has to be yes. If it's no, then Tucker Carlson is bad at his job. And because it's yes, when Tucker pretends not to know anything about the elections, he can't prove it. Well, I haven't proved it. Well, hey, Tucker, it's not your job to prove things. What does that even mean? He is playing according to the rules of the regime. He is playing the controlled opposition role in this scenario, pretending that these claims are just out there in the ether. Oh, no one can really discern what's right and wrong in this situation. But sure they can. Hey, Tucker, do you believe that Joe Biden received 81 million real lawful American votes? And of course, he'd say no. And then the question opens up. Well, why haven't you been covering it at all? Why wasn't there a three-part special on the J. Alex Halderman report? Why didn't he call in experts about voting machines and interview Chris Krebs of CISA? Why didn't any of these things happen? He is one of the most famous, quote-unquote, journalists in the country. He is the leading television character when it comes to, quote-unquote, conservative political news, but not a single episode examining the evidence of election fraud, not a single episode examining the problems with the machines, which aren't a matter of dispute. It is a known thing. He consistently tells us he didn't know or now that it was too scary, but neither of those answers should be acceptable to anyone. And we can make excuses for Tucker. I like Tucker Carlson. That is the thing that people don't understand when they are defending Tucker Carlson because they also like Tucker Carlson. I like Tucker. I want to believe that Tucker is a good dude and that he is just participating out of goodwill and patriotism in an information operation designed to wake up the American public to what has been done to them and what has been done in their name and that he is simply executing a narrative operation in order to do that Along a certain timeline, I have discussed this concept too many times to count on this podcast. I think each and every one of you who has been listening to this show for any amount of time understands how I break that down. But do we know that's what's happening? Just a couple of weeks ago, talked about it on the podcast. Tucker was involved in a very clear info op to bring Alex Jones back to the public spotlight and reintroduce him as a new important voice on X. Now, Alex Jones being taken off of Twitter was probably also an info op. I didn't talk about things or think about things in those terms back then, but I think we can be fairly certain that's true. So Tucker interviews Alex Jones. Elon Musk brings him back onto X, formerly Twitter. And then Tucker announces his new independent media company just days later. That's an info op, guys. Maybe it's a good info op done in good faith for the right reasons to help save this country. It's totally possible. Maybe that is the answer. I'm all good 
with that being the answer. And I can shake their hands and say, hey, I'm sorry I ever doubted you in the future if that's the case. And then they can either forgive me or not. Maybe they think I'm stupid. I don't care. These aren't my friends. They're not my family. I don't know their intentions. So all I can do is observe their actions. And Tucker's actions in this instance illustrate nothing more than dishonesty. It is not true what he's saying. He's not just finding things out. He didn't just silence himself because he was scared. And he's not just now coming around to the understanding that maybe something was a little off in those elections. The other clip we played Saturday night was, again, Tucker going through claims of people like Rudy Giuliani and Sidney Powell and saying they had no evidence anywhere. No one was showing him evidence. And again, maybe that's what needed to happen for Tucker's info op in good faith to save the country. He was asked to make his audience think that there was nothing to these election fraud claims. All of that could be true. What if it's not? And people in our community have stopped thinking about those questions completely. People are too concerned with figuring out who's a white hat and who's a black hat. And then giving the so-called white hats all of the leeway, all of the benefit of the doubt that anyone could ever ask for. They did the same thing with Ron DeSantis. And I've said many times, maybe Ron DeSantis himself is an op designed to attract rhino donors, rhino media, expose all of it. So you can really see the uniparty right side of the swamp. If that's the case, Ron did a great job. But here's the question. Are all those rhino donors in on it? Are all of those uniparty right media figures who were part of the DeSantis simp operation Were they in on it? Were they a necessary element to the so-called kayfabe? Or were they just the suckers closest to the situation who thought they could win power and prestige and become wealthy in their media jobs or maybe get jobs within the new Ron DeSantis administration? And then which ones? Is it all of them? Or is it just like Kurt Schlichter and Steve Dace and Dave Rubin? Just the really good and smart and principled ones who are calling everyone in MAGA idolaters and cultists. Which ones are in on it and which ones aren't? Are all of the people who are convinced by them, all of the people who hate Trump, but voted for him anyway because he's less bad than Hillary Clinton or Joe Biden? Are they in on it too? Or are they actually trying to get Ron DeSantis to be president and trying to eliminate from the public mind and the public conversation and from American politics, Donald Trump and his supporters? Where is the line? What is the limiting principle? And of course, there is none. It's just people wanting to give the benefit of the doubt based on theories of kayfabe and then doing that and using that repeatedly anytime a situation similar arises. Now, unless you think that the point of this is figuring out who the white hats and who the black hats are or winning a rigged election in 10 months. It is a very risky position to just assume the best of all these strangers who happen to be making more than a million dollars a week to say these things to you. Now, maybe, maybe they're being very well compensated for the reputational hit and risk they're being asked 
to take in order to execute this operation this way and guarantee success in saving our country. I'm open to that possibility. And again, in that case, I'd say, hey, guys, you know, I wasn't sure. I thought you might be good guys, but there was a chance you were bad guys and the risk was worth paying attention to. So I biased myself toward making sure to mitigate that risk rather than putting all of my eggs in the Tucker Carlson or Alex Jones or whoever else basket. That is an entirely reasonable position because the risk that is being run by following these people and making excuses for their dishonesty for however long it continues is that this quote unquote awakening that is occurring stops in November with this election or whenever the political process finally winds down, no matter what it is. People thinking that the whole thing is over and only having moved from one side of the controlled opposition dynamic to the other, thinking that they have actually progressed their way out of the central narrative while still being planted firmly within it. Moving from the uniparty left to the uniparty right in order to get people with R's next to their name, quote unquote, elected in rigged elections happening 10 months from now. That's not the goal, which makes it even a little more ridiculous to think that thousands of people across this country are signing up in order to attempt to defeat the uniparty regime at things like ballot harvesting in order to get more people with little R's next to their name announced by the television as winners of rigged elections. What sort of goal is that? That's no goal at all. And you do have to doubt the intentions of people trying to corral the newly awakened back into that pen. Now, apparently, I have found out it is uncouth to call people liars just because they are blatantly and obviously lying to millions and millions of people each and every day. Those people cannot be described as liars. You see, they are too big to lie. Once you have a platform that large, you are so important in the process of waking the normies up that you are allowed to lie to everyone for decades at a time. Let's think about who these people are and where their money comes from. And again, I would love for all these people to be good guys and I will go shake their hand and say, hey, I'm sorry I ever doubted you. If that's what comes to pass, I get it. But just assuming that while they're lying to everyone is a little preposterous. But apparently I upset some people with these comments. So let's break them down a little further. Now, it's worth mentioning that a couple of years ago, I began making this same argument against Ben Shapiro. And people told me I was crazy, that I was being divisive, that these people are our allies. They are communicating to people we can't reach and they are bringing them in our direction. They are helping to wake up the normies. So we have to approve of the things that they're saying, even though the things they're saying are out and out lies. And even though anytime a truly important issue comes up, they agree with the uniparty regime about the underlying truth of all of it. COVID, masks, lockdowns, vaccines, election fraud, the very violent insurrection, the Ukraine war, the Israel war. You can go on and on and on. People who were never Trump. And then while Trump was in office in his first term, they were sometimes Trump 
when their interests aligned. And now they're back to being never Trump again. That describes Ben Shapiro and a slew of other media figures, including the ones I just mentioned who were part of the DeSantis simp op. I'm not making it up. You can go back and read their writings and listen to their comments from 2015 and 2016 about Donald Trump. You can see how they treated him during his first term, criticizing his character and intelligence and responsibility whenever he did something they didn't like. And then when he did something that they did like, they would take credit for it and say that despite that good thing he did, he could have done even so much better if he had only listened to them more. In every scenario, they are right. Trump is wrong. Even when they are pursuing the same thing, they are still the leader. Trump is just luckily doing the thing that they approve of. And then on anything important, they make sure to side with the central narrative and the uniparty agenda rather than MAGA and Donald Trump. People got mad at me for saying all of this about little Ben Shapiro. But hey, that was two years ago. And now in the present day, nobody likes Ben Shapiro. Tucker Carlson just last week said he doesn't believe Ben Shapiro loves America. And he's right. The people who got mad at me for saying things about Ben Shapiro a couple years ago now understand I was right about Ben Shapiro and have moved on to being mad at me for saying things they don't like about Tucker Carlson, even though I am just applying the exact same principles. And the most important principle, of course, is that they're telling the truth. And it's not that they're right about everything. No one can be right about everything. I'm wrong about things sometimes. My understanding of the facts is inadequate. And if I knew one more thing, maybe I would have changed my mind. Sometimes I speculate about what might occur in the future, and then that thing doesn't occur. It happens to all of us. We can try to be right to the best of our ability, knowing that sometimes we're simply not going to be right. No matter how much someone tries to be right, it's not going to work out every time. We just know that as a fact of the human condition. And we can deal with that. We can give grace and understanding and acceptance when someone makes a mistake, just like we would want grace and understanding and acceptance when we make mistakes. No one can be right all the time. But the thing is, more and more, we realize that this natural state of things is to not actually have answers in the first place, particularly not when it comes to questions about situations that are complete and totally fake right down to the roots. The question becomes and should become, what do we do in a situation where there are no discernible facts about a given subject? We're coming to find out that that describes far more situations in our lives than we would like to believe. And rather than pretending that's not true and saying, oh, please provide a link. Please provide a source. Oh, the New York Times says this. The Washington Post says this. The Atlantic says this. Which one is it? Oh, well, I guess I better just pick one and go with it. Which one sounds the most right? We can accept there might not be a right answer and that we have to figure out how to move forward anyway, which is why principles and morality actually matter because they give us some standard to measure other things against. 
For instance, if you demand honesty out of whoever you're in conversation with as a key factor of judging whether or not you could ever possibly trust that person, you are much more likely to get good results. If you want more truth in your interactions, then you have to demand truth from the people you're interacting with, which also, by the way, means that you should be focused on telling the truth yourself, at least as best as you can discern it. Again, knowing that none of us are going to be perfect, obviously myself included. And if we are awakening, if this is indeed a truth movement, then it would seem like demanding truth is one of the most critical things we can be doing, which makes it extremely unusual and a little disconcerting that so many people want to make excuses for people who are blatantly lying to them on the spot and have been for decades. Tucker Carlson's job description was to provide a story about reality, and he was paid to provide that story by the world's wealthiest transnational corporations who would advertise on Rupert Murdoch's Fox News channel. Now, I'm not trying to insult Tucker's character, not trying to say that he never had a good effect, but we should actually apply the same standards. It is a fact that Tucker Carlson was on Fox News for 13 or 14 years and had nationally televised cable news shows for years before that. We know about corporate influence. We know about the influence of intelligence agencies. We talk about the mockingbird media. Is Tucker Carlson an intelligence asset? How do I know? But we don't need to pretend that Tucker Carlson tonight on the Fox News channel was the most based and red-pilled outlet for truth that the world had ever seen. It wasn't. It was a corporate media nightly newscast. He got paid a lot of money to do a job, and that job was to keep Americans clueless about the most important things in this country. Now, you can say he's been part of a long-term info op on behalf of patriotic Americans in order to gradually save the country. And again, maybe you're right, but we don't know that. And if we're going to adhere to principles like demanding the truth, then unfortunately, Tucker Carlson comes up short on that measure with his Fox News show. And he is also coming up short now as he blatantly lies to your face. Again, I'm not trying to attack Tucker Carlson. I'm trying to point out a factual reality that you can observe and that even the people who are arguing against me recognize as true. They say, yes, we know Tucker Carlson is lying, but it is for a good purpose. It is to wake up the normies. And I got to tell you, I'm sick as hell of that argument for whatever reason. People think that this is the smartest and most compelling argument ever. And as soon as they repeat it, everyone else has to shut up. Hey guys, uh, this man is obviously lying to you and you are applauding him while he does it. Oh, don't worry about that. Don't worry about that. He's just lying to everyone in order to wake up the normies. Don't you understand? But let's talk about that for a little bit. So if 
Con Inc. Media. And let's expand this beyond Tucker Carlson because people say the same thing for Joe Rogan. They've said the same thing for Ben Shapiro. They say the same thing for Tim Poole. You can go on down the list and keep talking about influencers and media figures who are quite clearly years behind in what they are telling to their audiences. If they were doing such a good job of slowly waking up millions and millions of normies, how come that wake up has not yet advanced to the point that they are able to admit that there's no reason to believe Joe Biden did not receive 81 million real lawful American votes? And if their audience still isn't prepared to deal with that fact from three years ago, why are people like Tucker spending their time scaring people about artificial intelligence and aliens to threats which, like climate change and nuclear weapons and viruses, may not even exist? It's funny how all of the humanity-destroying existential threats are like that, isn't it? Think about what that says in relation to God. We continue being told by the Uniparty, by the evil twin globally, by the global regime, that there are these man-made existential threats. We humans are so powerful that we can destroy the world ourselves. We don't need God to wash it away in a flood. We will just go out there and destroy it ourselves. You see, we're so ingenious that we have figured out ways to kill everybody and destroy everything all at once. And everyone has to believe it based on trust. They can't actually prove it, but we all trust it. I mean, viruses have to be real, right? Just look at COVID. So the people we're being told are unable to tell the truth to their audiences about things like election fraud, for instance, or the problems with their currency can still be told elaborate stories about these existential threats we face. But we have to make excuses for them anyway, because they have such big platforms. They are too big to tell the truth. If they told the truth to their audiences, their audiences might. I, I don't know. Are they going to stop listening to them? Well, no, because their audiences will keep listening to them, even though they lie to them all the time and end up convincing their audiences to do things like pretend elections aren't stolen, and inject themselves with a toxic experimental substance. So even when they lead their audiences to ruin, their audiences don't stop listening to them, but their audiences would stop listening to them if they began telling their audience the truth. That is what we are supposed to believe. That is what this argument is. So if they're going to tell the truth to their audience, they would lose their audience. And they have such big platforms with such big audiences. We just can't afford to lose the opportunity to have one of these guys who is quote unquote on our side lie to that audience. If they start telling the truth to their audience, their audience is going to leave them. And <laughs> we need these guys in place to lie to that audience. There are apparently people who really, really think that this makes sense. And what do these people say? They say, oh, the people just aren't ready for the truth. Well, okay. When will they be ready for the truth? Is it going to be in a few years? Because... 
everybody's been saying the audience isn't ready for the truth yet for a few years. Tucker Carlson is just now getting around to hinting that at some point he might be willing to discuss election fraud a little bit in some way. I mean, he's probably not going to tell the truth. I mean, why would he? No one expects him to. And the people who know the truth actually defend him for lying. So what incentive would he ever have to tell the truth? Either way, this is the sort of excuse you cannot just continue making for years and years and years. Oh, the audience just isn't ready yet for Tucker to tell the truth about election fraud. Here we are now three years and two months after the 2020 election and Tucker Carl's audience, who he has been leading throughout that entire time, still not ready to hear it. We are being told by people who claim to be committed to the truth movement. And again, I'm not trying to go after anyone personally up to and including Tucker Carlson. I think Tucker is likable as can be. I think he's incredibly intelligent. I think he probably has a lot of morals that we share in common. And I think he is an excellent communicator. He just doesn't happen to be telling the truth. And that's obvious. And at some point we have to stop making excuses for that. Why would we continue to say that it's okay these mass media figures continue to lie to people on the basis that their audience isn't ready for the truth for years. And it's not just about one subject. It's about every subject. People are trapped in an informational past and we all are to some extent. This is not about me holding myself up as the standard. I'm talking about objective standards that exist outside of us and outside of what we actually produce. Like it is actually important to tell the truth all the time to the best of your ability. That is a standard that exists outside of me. And I try to live up to that standard all the time to the best of my ability, knowing that sometimes I will fail. There is still the standard that we should aim for. And people are basically making this argument to me. We need people with massive audiences to tell part of the truth three years too late after so many people already know it, that it's inevitable it will become fully known. And those media figures would actually be risking their reputations at that point by continuing to lie. Well, more than half the country knows the truth about all these issues, most particularly election fraud. So if you are a person pretending to be a truth teller and not just operating on the side, a hundred percent committed to backing the regime and the central narrative, there is a point at which everyone else has discovered the truth and you will begin to be punished by your audience for having led them astray for so long. That is an obvious conclusion of lying to your audience for a long time. And when you understand that that will happen en masse at some point in the future, then it makes no sense to be mad at me for making that argument at this point in time. All I am is slightly ahead of an emergent reality. I posted about this on Truth Social and got a response from Eric Carlson, whose excellent work can often be heard on my friend Patrick Gunnell's show, Reading epic threads, he always reads Eric Carlson's pieces. He said, once a lie is no longer believed by the majority, it is allowed to be exposed as a lie. And somehow we view the exposure as some kind of victory, 
at some point when no one trusts vaccines anymore, even vaccine deaths will be exposed by the mass media. And of course, that's true. The entire point is them keeping you trapped in an informational past where you are unable to interact with and thus affect the current moment and what's happening and how people are perceiving it. If you are trapped in an informational past, you cannot make the right decisions in the present. And that is what happened to all of those people making the horrendous decision to go ahead and inject themselves with a toxic experimental substance that can't protect them from a disease that can't kill them because the TV said all the smart people were doing it and they get in trouble if they didn't. That poor decision is a result of existing in an informational past relative to COVID and relative to the vaccines. Who kept them in that informational past? I would argue it's people like Tim Pool, Joe Rogan, Ben Shapiro, and Tucker Carlson. Because they're all gatekeepers. They all get to decide how much everyone else is allowed to learn, how much truth they're allowed to be exposed to. That's what it is to be an information gatekeeper. I mentioned the term on Saturday night, kind of just off the cuff. We talk about Overton's window, the concept that deals with the limits of what is considered appropriate public conversation. And I proposed we begin calling it Carlson's window because Tucker Carlson is apparently the vanguard of informational gatekeeping. He decides where the edge of the public conversation exists. And if he's doing that as part of a good faith patriotic info op to wake up all the normies, well, okay, it's still our job to encourage him to press that boundary forward trying to get ever closer to the truth. That is our responsibility. That is our duty. It is not our duty to make excuses for people with hundreds of millions of dollars and massive audiences and influence to keep on lying endlessly. The people on TV who've lied on behalf of transnational corporations and intelligence agencies for the last 30 years are now making even more money than ever by lying this time for a good reason to wake normies up. If anyone questions why they're lying, the proper response, by the way, is to let everyone know everyone around you. Just make sure everyone knows that it's not the bad kind of lying when they do it. It's the good kind of lying, the kind of lying that is going to wake normies up. And this can last forever or at least until the normies wake up and start talking about how it's good for the people on TV to keep lying in order to wake up the normies, which aren't them at this point. They're not normies anymore. Yes, they're repeating that totally normie idea that it is okay to lie to massive audiences for years or even decades at a time in order to wake normies up. That's not that's not the sort of thing that that normies would ever say, even though everyone is saying it all the time and it and it makes no sense and all those people are following all of these liars all the time and making excuses for them right you get it it makes sense so far got it eventually because no one has demanded the truth at all because we're all on board with these people lying forever in order to wake normies up and we are ourselves too busy waking normies up to demand the truth 
all the lies that are being told by these people will become accepted as true because we're not saying that they're lying because we're defending them as they wake normies up and the normies that they're totally waking up. Well, they believe everything these guys are saying because no one's saying that they're lying. So everybody just comes to believe the things these information gatekeepers are saying all in the interest of waking up normies, except the problem then is that millions and millions and millions of people believe the stories as they are being relayed by Tim Poole and Joe Rogan and Ben Shapiro and Tucker Carlson, all of which happen to be false, though we are supposed to assume they were true at some point in an informational past, even though they weren't. That was just the best understanding of that time though not true. And then we are supposed to applaud all of these people for telling us all of those lies in order to wake the normies up. And at that point, you might understand that everyone saying that those are the normies because we can't know the truth or falsity. We can't know the motivations behind why these people are lying. So as an act of principle, it is better to just call them out on the lies and demand that they tell the truth rather than making excuses for their dishonesty. Because if no one ever takes that approach, they just keep on lying forever. And what could be more obvious? There's no incentive whatsoever for any of them to actually push the envelope and tell the truth. And sure, you can assume that they're all in a good faith patriotic info op that requires them lying to millions of people every day in order for the op to work smoothly. And we can just keep on pretending, pretending and pretending and pretending. Let's never stop playing pretend. They're telling noble lies, always the noblest of lies. These people, they would never lie to us, no matter how many hundreds of millions of dollars they are paid by transnational corporations. They're telling the good lies to everybody else. They're not lying to us. We know they're lying, but the normies who think they're telling the truth, well, <laughs> they need to be lied to. Because if you tell them the right lies, they'll end up coming in our direction on certain issues. And though they'll never reach where we've reached, they'll never figure out the actual underlying truth of any of these things. Well, hey, at least they won't be Democrats anymore. And once again, all of the defenders of these people have spun themselves into the ground. The goal here is not to get people to stop being Democrats, and it's not to get them to stop believing the most retarded stories. It's to get them to demand truth, and we do that through demanding truth. Instead of being angry at me for saying all of this, perhaps people should look in the mirror and understand, oh, hey, ah, we're just the new normies. We actually think that it is our job right now to cheer and applaud whenever the corporate media accepts as partially true, not even all the way true, things that were obviously true years and years ago. People can recognize their lying and can assert positively that they know for sure these people are part of an op and apparently 
It's the most responsible thing in the world to assume, oh yeah, well, they're in a good op. They're in a good op. They say things that we agree with sometimes, usually years after they are necessary to be said to large audiences, but they're in the good op. Really? Well, how come their audience and everyone who joins their audience from being in an even worse position is always permanently years behind reality? And then we're told, well, you see, once someone wakes up enough to want to listen to a Tim Pool or a Joe Rogan or a Ben Shapiro or a Tucker Carlson, eventually they're going to wake up all the way and then leave them behind. Except the people who are defending them are not leaving them behind. They are agreeing with the normies who are not awake, who are being lied to, who don't understand what's going on. They agree that these are the most important people in the media sphere. It's not, hey, everybody, stop listening to these guys who lie to you all the time. It's, hey, everybody, these are the most popular, well-paid, successful media figures. And so we need to listen to them no matter what, even if they are verifiably lying, because they're the only people the normies might eventually listen to. And once again, people have taken it upon themselves to decide what other people with their own distinct minds and experiences and thoughts are prepared to understand or listen to or deal with. We say, well, you know, my cousin is just not ready to listen to those devolution guys. So what I'm going to do is convince him to listen to more Ben Shapiro, even though Ben Shapiro is lying all the time and leads his audiences into making absolutely terrible decisions. They're not going to listen to someone who doesn't get paid tens or hundreds of millions of dollars a year to lie to them. I know it shouldn't be that way, but it is that way. And there's nothing we can do about that. Least of all, demanding truth from anyone. We should actually just be happy that these guys are allowed to lie to so many people. The entire argument lacks principles, which is why when you play it out to its ends, it will always spin out into absurdity. The argument from the people who are upset with me is very much one in the liberal mindset, the sleeping mindset, the child-brained standard-issue villager mindset, the mindset of a loyal and groveling subject. You need the people in power to fix problems for you because you are unable or unwilling to attempt to fix them yourself. And when I say unwilling, I mean that staying behind in order to wake up the normies by lying to them and supporting that and focusing on whatever the issues of the day are is not how you continue to awaken yourself. And it's not ever how you're going to awaken anyone else. And considering that these arguments didn't just begin to be made within the last few years, they've actually been made for decades. People might eventually reach the point where they understand perhaps that's not a very good strategy. I'm not going to presume good faith among people who are obviously lying to millions of people every day and becoming spectacularly wealthy doing it while leading their audiences to ruin. Ponder this question. I asked it on Truth Social earlier. Which person on TV or X or doing major podcasts is doing 
the most good, the most good by lying to millions of people every day. Which one of them through their lying to millions and millions of people is doing the most good? And when is the mission that requires constantly lying all the time fully accomplished? When is the mission complete so that these people can begin telling their audiences the truth, which is something they have literally never done before? Is there just going to be a day where it turns around and they're like, oh, okay, well, I'm only going to tell everybody the truth now. I was doing this op for a long time. That required me lying to millions and millions and millions of people over decades. I just had to lie all the time about the most important subjects in the world, leading my audience to be consistently wrong in their most important decisions, while the people who actually knew what was going on and had access to the truth took advantage of them. And oh, yeah, by the way, their lives were totally destroyed in the process. I mean, I convinced them to inject themselves with an experimental medication. I left them totally in the dark about anything to do with actual geopolitics or our currency. I told them that the country hadn't been usurped and that Joe Biden was a legitimate president, even while knowing that that wasn't true. But but. Now that Donald Trump has won the 2024 election and we have Republicans back in the House and Senate, these people with the R's next to their name, oh, they're going to save us. Now that all that is done, I am committed to telling you the truth in the future. When is that going to happen? Is there a moment when that happens? And if that doesn't happen, Is it okay for them to just keep lying while we keep pretending that they're doing it to wake up the normies as if waking up the normies is such a good, important cause that we can become normies ourselves while it happens since it's never going to happen because everyone they listen to just keeps lying to them. This doesn't make any sense. Whether or not it's true is beside the point. If it was possible that these people have been enlisted in some formal fashion to delay divulging the truth about certain subjects in order to allow this pause period to happen so that things can be flipped over without causing a civil war without leading to the worst consequences. And we'll get to some of that from Donald Trump in a little bit. And I guess I just do really long, really long episodes now. But if it was possible that that's actually what they're doing and that that turns out to be the right answer, it is still the correct approach to demand the truth and not make excuses for them lying. We need to push these people too. To tell the truth, everyone should be pressed to do that. That's the entire point. But people think that that is a concern for later. Like, just let them keep lying until we can win back the presidency in a rigged election. And then at that point, all the people with the R's next to their name, they're going to fix our elections and everything else. Just look, these people care about immigration again, all of a sudden during an election year, they're getting closer to the truth. No, they're not. 
They are getting everybody fired up about immigration so that when Mike Johnson and the House advertise to the country that they are about to pass a bipartisan spending bill in order to avoid a government shutdown, they can tell people who continue voting for anyone just because there is an R next to his name. Hey, we had to pass this spending bill so that we could deal with that problem at the border. We told you it was okay to care about now. And how about this scenario? These people avoid talking about election fraud through these next 10 months. For whatever reason, the mainstream media is able to stifle any conversation about election fraud. People don't know the truth about our elections as we go into 2024. And we have an election and the TV reports once again that Joe Biden has somehow defeated Donald Trump again. What will we do at that point and where will these people stand? Will Joe Rogan and Ben Shapiro and Tim Poole and Tucker Carlson say that election was obviously stolen? And what will they push for at that point? Or what if the TV says Donald Trump won and so did all these other Republicans? So your elections are fine. What do they do then? Do they go out and tell the millions and millions and millions of people in their audiences? Hey, everybody, things are okay. Trump won. And then they just keep on lying and nobody cares because we think all the problems have been solved. The point of this is not to make Donald Trump president again, although that would be wonderful, but that's not the ultimate goal. And I doubt Donald Trump would say that's the ultimate goal. That is a proximate goal. That is what happens this year so that more goals can be advanced further beyond that. And that's going to require people being awake and understanding what Trump is trying to accomplish and being able to tell the truth about that to other people so that they can see it in reality and understand it in real time as it happens. Not years later, once some podcast host or former Fox News host tells them what's going on. Let's say they're doing an op, they're doing it perfectly, and the narrative play is developing perfectly along a timeline. We are on track to hit every marker and we will eventually make America great again. What is the downside to us calling them out and saying, we demand you tell the truth, not just to us, to everybody. I don't hate Tucker Carlson. I'm not even saying he's a bad guy, although he may be, and it's at least worth considering. I'm certainly not going to get him fired from his job. If there's any chance that he actually doesn't have access to basic and obvious truths that anyone could glean from the world or just by thinking for a few minutes, then maybe he becomes more likely to pursue those truths and we only get more positive results. What if all of these guys had simply told their audiences a few years ago, yeah, guys, it looks like that election was absolutely stolen and it looks like you're being lied to about a zillion things, COVID, vaccines, this election fraud, obviously, the whole BLM, George Floyd, Jacob Blake, Breonna Taylor thing. Yeah, that was a lie. None of them said that. They just played right along with the PSYOP and occasionally they played the counter narrative side of that PSYOP, but the counter narrative side of the PSYOP is part of the PSYOP. And that PSYOP very likely was not run for our benefit. Why is it more important for people to protect TV characters, which is essentially what they are? You don't know these people. You don't have a relationship with them. 
They're not your friends or your family members. It is not the goal of life to figure out who you can trust and then just delegate your thinking to that person. And that includes me, by the way. I hope you're not allowing me to think for you. You can listen to my ideas, agree with them, disagree with them. That's your business. And it's your responsibility to discern the truth. I don't want, need, or in any way require your trust. And to the extent that you do trust me, it should be relative to whether or not you believe I am doing the best I can to discern the truth and then communicate it honestly. It's not our job to make excuses for our favorite TV characters, especially not when we can see that the only time they end up beginning to tell the truth about these important subjects is once the rest of society has already figured it out. You can claim that they're waking the normies up as if that's the most important thing in the entire world, but it is just as plausible that people are waking up due to their experiences in their lives and then are immediately being funneled to the informational gatekeepers who make sure that they can't wake up. And if you're able to argue yourself out of that, then by the way, please hit me up on Telegram or Truth Social and tell me how you did it. It's funny that people think that I am too harsh when describing some of these big influencers on X, formerly Twitter, or on TV or on podcasts. Everyone just continues making excuses for these people while they reap all the rewards for repeating the central narrative and focusing on growing their audience and increasing the amount of attention on their platforms so that they can lie to more people. At the same time, everyone wants the process to be sped up, even if we understand it along a timeline, that there is a very specific plan on how things will roll out. It is still our responsibility to demand truth and press forward with that truth. I mean, I'm on the devolution team for fuck's sake. I believe, and I believe I know that something else is happening behind the scenes, just off screen. And I believe that it is our responsibility to try to get as close to the truth as possible and tell people about it. So that there is a base of knowledge and argumentation and understanding about what exactly has happened over this period so that people can eventually understand that themselves and we can all interact with that understanding as we figure out how to guide this whole thing forward into the future. I'm a bit bewildered, frankly, that people who imagine they are part of a truth movement consistently make arguments about why certain wealthy and powerful people should not be required to tell the truth because they are so much more important than we are. That is a ridiculous argument to be made unless you want to live as a loyal and groveling subject of the regime for the rest of your life. And a lot of people are actually totally okay with that because they're comfortable in their lives and all they want is to know that the other political party is said to be in power because the reality of these situations don't affect them that much to begin with. It's the conversation and the arguing that they really don't want to deal with. It's not the fact that the country has been usurped. 
that everyone is continuously led in to falling for each and every psyop and hoax in existence and that our currency is collapsing. You can't address those subjects. We're all just too busy waking the normies up. A good thing to avoid in all cases is to ever make an argument based on how another group of people who you don't know will feel or respond to one of the sides of the argument. I'm not the normie, but there are normies and those normies, they need to be brought along at a certain pace. What's that pace? Oh, exactly. Whatever pace Joe Rogan and Tim Poole and Ben Shapiro and Tucker Carlson roll things out on. That's the pace the normies need and telling them the truth just won't make it go any faster. Well, yeah, actually telling them only the truth all the time to the best of our ability to discern it could make it go faster. It could also allow those people to be in a better position to make decisions for themselves. So it is not actually your responsibility to determine what they are able to think or know or understand. There are a great many of unfortunate instances of collateral damage over these last few years, many of them occurring because of the decisions people made for themselves on bad information. And people are arguing that it's okay. Those people are continuously lied to by the rich and powerful, no matter how many bad decisions they end up making as a result. Now, if that is necessary collateral damage, we can discuss that and we can be forgiving and understanding about that. But if it's not necessary, then these people are the victims of an unimaginable cruelty that we are aligning ourselves with in order to defend these rich and powerful people who just so happen to be lying to millions and millions of people. Because whether or not they're lying to millions of people is not up for debate. The people arguing against me acknowledge that that is true. We can demand that truth is told by people with audiences and access to the truth. And we can be honest ourselves in admitting that it is irrefutable these people are lying. And we can do that without hating them or wishing ill on them. And we can do it while trying to understand them and perhaps being in a position to forgive them in the future. But it's still our responsibility to demand truth. So let's grant them every possible benefit of the doubt. And I will even grant to the people who have made honestly terrible cases to me over the weekend that all of them are right. I will say that all of the lying is okay and all of these people are correct. What would the world look like if no one was standing up and saying, oh, hey, these guys are actually lying. This stuff that they're saying just isn't true because that is the solution they're recommending. They're explaining away the lies and they're saying that I shouldn't be calling these people out. I should understand that these guys are part of an op and that it is done in good faith. 
a patriotic op. I should just understand those things and silence myself in those criticisms. I actually don't need to demand truth from this set of people. Now, we can't determine who that set of people is. It changes. It used to include Ben Shapiro, but now it doesn't because nobody likes Ben Shapiro anymore. But we don't have to demand the truth from them. In fact, we don't have to demand the truth from anybody. What we have to do is understand that this is all an op and it's our job to just allow it to play out. And hey, if all it does is shift people from the uniparty left to the uniparty right, well, you know, I guess they're like a little closer to, to, to what we think. That's, that's the awakening, right? No, no, that's not it. In fact, that is the worst of all possible outcomes because that, my friends, pardon the term, is an abortion of the awakening. That is a situation where the awakening was potential and it was becoming actualized and it simply got stopped because all of the people with the biggest audiences, the biggest reach, the most money and the most power just kept on lying to everybody because no one bothered demanding the truth from any of them. We just said, oh, they're so great. We should erect monuments to these men, these informational gatekeepers. And at that point, we might as well erect monuments to all the beneficiaries of their gatekeeping, like Joe Biden. Anyone want to do that? No, no one does. Well, what do you think the consequences are for defending wealthy and powerful people who lie to everyone all the time just because we happen to like their lies a little bit more than we like the lies from the quote unquote other side when it turns out they're exactly the same side. What then? If there is an op giving all these people the benefit of the doubt, if there is an op and all these guys are in it, each and every person involved in that op should still want me having this conversation and demanding that they tell the truth because the only way it's a good op is if we're actually all trying to demand the truth and actually pushing this awakening forward. If that's what they're doing, if that's what they're getting paid all that big money to do, they're going to be okay, especially because I'm making caveat after caveat and saying, hey, I'm not saying all these people are terrible. I am more than happy to extend my forgiveness and understanding in the future. I will make public apologies to these people. I don't give a shit if I'm wrong. If I'm wrong, the downside is still that we pushed for demanding more truth. I'm okay being wrong like that. We can actually attempt to understand all these issues from at least two viewpoints and sometimes from a multitude of viewpoints in order to understand, hey, if it's this, we got to understand it. Or if it's the opposite thing, we got to understand that too. And that process has to occur. This is how I have approached things for years. This is how many of you approach things. Probably more of you approach them this way over the course of time. And we have been right quite a lot. And when we are not right, we are at least prepared for the consequences in whatever direction things happen to go. Now, I was going to discuss some of this Lloyd Austin disappearing stuff, but we're about to hit two hours, so I will save that for tomorrow. I will, however, 
leave you with a couple of clips from Donald Trump's various speeches over the weekend in Iowa as he barnstorms the Hawkeye state in advance of next Monday's Republican primary caucus. Here is Donald Trump essentially affirming something that we have been saying for quite a long time. This whole process was necessary in order to avoid a civil war. It's amazing when you talk about like the election. It's a conspiracy. There's no conspiracy. They spied on my campaign. You say that this is a conspiracy, but we have all the evidence. We have all the proof. I wish we had an attorney general that would have been better than Bill Barr. Bill Barr was he was a coward. He didn't he didn't want to do what he should have done. And, you know, it's OK in a certain way, because nobody thought that you should ever do. You rip the country apart when you get into that stuff. Nobody's ever done that except this guy, this guy, because he can't he can't talk, can't put sentences together. He has no idea what's going on. And it's probably the only way they can win, I guess. But I don't think that's going to win. He's saying pretty clearly there were other options. He's putting it on Bill Barr, Bill Barr being a coward. He didn't want to go through with those other options. And it is possible that things could have been stopped and the investigations been done and that that would have ripped the country apart. Joe Biden was willing to rip the country apart by stealing the election and then going through this pantomime, pretending to be a legitimate president, knowing that he isn't. And all of these other people went along with it as well. Trump is saying he could have made other decisions, but was not willing to rip the country apart. So instead, we are doing this in order to avoid the possibility of a civil war. And it seems very likely that that process and that decision will pay off in spades for probably the rest of American history. And Donald Trump, if all of this is correct, will go down as absolutely the greatest figure in American history. That should not even be a question at this point. If we are correct, that's who he is. And if we're correct, he might also be something else. See if you can guess from his comments. Was a great president. Look at all the things we did with against. Uh, <laughs> what they say a lot of people say you are, you are. That's sort of cute. And a lot of people don't understand what they mean by that. So just to make sure you caught that, he said was a good president, and someone in the crowd yelled, "You are," and Trump chuckled and said, "Oh, he said you are," and then he gestures back toward the media saying a lot of people don't understand what they mean by that. They being his supporters who attest to the fact that Donald Trump still is president. Now, I know that's a conspiracy, or at least to the normies, but just imagine what they might think if Joe Rogan and Tim Poole and Ben Shapiro and Tucker Carlson hadn't been lying to them for the last three years. I'll be back tomorrow at the same reasonable time on the same reasonable podcast network. I don't have a network. Masks and lockdowns don't work. They lied to you about a pandemic. And Joe Biden will never be president. In my mind, that's the end game. If you're listening to this episode for free, you can support me and support the show and the work I do 
by signing up for a paid subscription at imyourmoderator.substack.com. You can do so for as low as $50 a year or $5 a month, comes out to under a quarter per episode, and you'll blast right through the paywall for all of the writing. The merch store is www.cancelcouture.com, and you can find everything else by heading to Linktree, linktree.com slash I'm your moderator. And I'll see you soon out on the range. catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. In my mind, that's the end game. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to follow what I'm reading and thinking throughout the day, you can do that by downloading the Telegram Messenger app and going to t.me slash I'm your moderator. On social media, you can follow me on Truth Social, Getter, and Gab at I'm your moderator. I also have channels on Rumble and BitChute. If you'd like to follow the writing, you can find me at I'm your moderator.substack.com. The merch site is cancelcouture.com or go direct shop.spreadshirt.com slash cancel dash couture. If you'd like to support the podcast financially, the best place to do that is Kofa. Go to ko-fi.com slash I'm your moderator. And all of these details will appear in the show notes with each episode. I'll see you soon down on the range.
It's hell!